You are listening to episode number 88, When Best Laid Plans Go Awry. My name is Antracia Moorings, and welcome to my weekly podcast, where I share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. This week wraps up the last week of the Genesis study. We're doing Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Dustin Divinity is the name of the workbook, which you can purchase on Amazon if this is your first time tuning in. So I hope that I have been a good host as we have toured through the book of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. So I pray that I've given you a love for the book of Genesis that makes you want to dig a little deeper. So if you have questions, you can always send me a DM on social media. I'll leave the links in the show notes and reach out to me and let me know if there's anything you want clarification on. I will be glad to offer that for you. So this week we are going to look at Genesis chapter 11. And this chapter is a flashback that explains the division in the earth in Peleg's time. It says in Genesis 10 and 25, in his days, the earth was divided. So the big picture zooms in. Remember last week I said that Genesis chapters 10 and 11 really should be one chapter because they cover the same content. So we're zooming in, which is typical of Moses's writing style. And Babel, which we're going to look at today, was the Hebrew name for Babylon, which means the gate of gold. But it was similar to the Hebrew word Bilal, which means to confound or confuse. So there's a play on words there. And remember that Babel was founded by Nimrod, which we saw in chapter 10. Nimrod was a descendant of Ham through Cush. So in other words, he sprang from that branch of Noah's family, where the curse rested. So this city was not founded on godly principles. This chapter lets us know that people settled in Shinar, which is ancient Babylon. And in the Genesis narratives, when a man goes east, he is leaving the land of blessing, Eden and the promised land. And he's going to a place where he puts himself in the position of being an architect, leading to hopes that turn to ruin. We see this further in the scriptures with the development of Babylon and Sodom. The people in this chapter felt the need to put to good use the new technology that they found, which was the brick, and they sure put it to good use indeed. Verses three and four are reminiscent of what God said in Genesis 1 and 26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God desired unity for his people, but a unity that sprung from him and his desires and his design, not a unity that was man-made. God used his creative power to make something in his image, and it was good. But here we see that man uses his creative power to make something to promote his own image, but not God's. Their aim was to build for themselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens. They wanted to put their name in lights, so to speak. And a main part of their goal was to stop themselves from being dispersed, This was contrary to God's command in Genesis 9 and 1. God didn't call man to put down roots in one place and build towers. He called them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth in a horizontal direction, not just up. So in both Genesis 1 and 28 and Genesis 9 and 1, God gave a similar command. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And then... 
in nine, it says, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So the builders of the Tower of Babel were expecting to ascend to heaven to meet God. This should remind you of Psalms 24 that begins with who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. So by scripture standards, the only people who were going to ascend into the mountain, man-made or not, were those who had clean hands and a pure heart and who do not trust in idols. Clearly, the Tower of Babel represented an idol to these people. And even though their aspirations were great, God still had to come down because God knows that the intentions of man's heart are only evil continually. Remember, that was said of people back in the days of Noah. And by God's grace, he saved mankind from a repeat of the pre-flood conditions by coming down. Now, some interesting information is that archaeologists discovered the remains of certain great towers that these early Babylonians built. And some archaeologists even felt that they may have found the foundation that, that the original Tower of Babel was built on. It's still hard to determine, but interesting if this is the case. But they did find that the Babylonians built these great towers called ziggurats, which were built in a circular design with an ascending staircase that ended in a shrine at the top. And around that were written the signs of the Zodiac. So the tower was a religious building that was intended to expose man to the mystery of heaven and the greatness of God. But we know that glory will always only belong to God. No matter what man does or how many buildings he puts his name on, which is still happening today. But we have to remember that God names people. People don't make their own names great in God's eyesight. These towers were man-made glory banners that wanted to parade themselves as religious buildings. The tower was Nimrod's way of revolting yet again. Did God say that my uncle Canaan would be a slave? This is Nimrod's reasoning in his mind. And he was saying, I'll fight that judgment. I will never be a slave. In fact, I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to be so strong that slaves will have to bow to me and help build my city and my tower. This is how Nimrod became the mightiest man on earth. And it makes me think of a poem by Robert Burns or a line from one of his poems where he says, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And this is very much the case here. So God mirrors the language that mankind uses. In verse seven, he has the last word and says, come, let us go down. What God commands will come to pass no matter what man tries to come up with or what strategy he devises. So God dispersed man and they left off building the city. But God provides his people with the city with foundations that will endure forever. God wants to be the one that provides it. Nimrod's people wanted a name. But to those who are united with God and who overcome, God promises him 
who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And that was Revelation chapter three, verses 12 through 13. So this confusion of the language is the third great judgment on sinful humanity in this first major section of Genesis chapters one through 11. The first was Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden. And the second was the flood. God is the one who created the world's language barriers. It wasn't people who did this. It was God's doing. But scripture shows us that God has a bigger purpose for the various language. We see this in the New Testament. The church represents a reversal of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter two, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So Jesus had spoken about the church when he promised his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. God wanted to build it. He wanted to build his own church with a united people, and he does it through a united language given through the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing that happened on the day of Pentecost is that each person began to speak in a language that he had not yet learned. And it was a real language that was understood by those from the various lands familiar with them. It was not some made up jumbled language. Jesus said that the gospel was to go to all the nations. And we see in Acts chapter two, the various tongues of the earth were spoken. So in chapter two, verses nine through 11, Luke includes a list of nations. He starts east of Israel and then ends up coming in a full circle around the land. And while most of the people who were mentioned were Jews, there were a few Gentiles. They are representatives of the nations that the Lord wanted to reach. The key verse is verse five, where it says that it represents men from every nation under heaven. So God's goal back in Genesis comes full circle in the book of Acts. And this list of nations points us right back to the list of nations, the table of nations in Genesis 10, which led to the building of the Tower of Babel. Now, God judged these men by confusing their language. And in the New Testament, God turned this confusion of tongues into a miracle, which resulted in a great blessing. 
And the gift of speaking in tongues was a special miracle to show that God's purpose was to take the gospel to all nations. And it helped the church to be planted in places that these men came from. So once they left Jerusalem, they would go back with the gospel and the good news that they heard, these men speaking in the various languages, and go back to their homes and establish the gospel. This was God's aim. Because even missionaries, when they go to other countries, they have to learn the language. But God did something wonderful right here in the book of Acts. But the wonderful thing is that even though God's plan started with the Jewish people, his good news is for every single nation, every person on the planet. And John said in Revelation 5 and 9 that Jesus purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God's plan always prevails. And when man's plan goes against God's plan, you can be sure that it's going to crumble. So with the Tower of Babel, the builders did not expect their project to wind up like it did. They basically had to just leave it in the middle of it being built. They had lofty goals. Instead, that name that they wanted to make for themselves would wind up being non-communication instead of the tower that they wanted to finish. So this Tower of Babel is a picture of rebellion against God, and it shows broken fellowship between God and man and a failure to realize God's purpose for man in his creation, which was that he wanted them to rule the worth effectively according to his plan. And this theme of God being the one who makes a person's name great and who hands out cities is going to be the perfect segue to Abraham, which the next genealogy leads to. God will give Abraham a name and a land, but not for his sake, but for the sake of all those who have not been scattered. Later, God would make a name for Abram. We see this, or we will see this in chapter 12, verses two and three. So even though this chapter ends in rebellion and a scattering, God still provides hope with the continuation of the genealogy of the godly line. Isn't God so good like that? What looks like it ends in destruction, God always picks those pieces back up together with his good plan. I love how God always ends in hope. Elizabeth Elliot has a great quote that says, God's story never ends with ashes. And this is just a great picture of that. So that's it for this episode of Unfolding Words and for the Dust and Divinity Bible Study. I pray that you were blessed. I really do. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you won't miss an episode of the podcast. And if this episode or the study blessed you, please pass it along. Thank you so much for listening this week. We'll be back next week with some words that God has laid on my heart while we've been doing the study, not related to Genesis though. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.